Welcome to the Legacy Podcast by the Butler Legacy Foundation, created by the family of Sir Milo Butler, a trailblazing Bahamian entrepreneur, freedom fighter, and political leader whose impact is felt throughout the Caribbean to this day. We, his descendants, gather to share the stories of success and insights that have made us who we are. We are taking ownership of our incredible legacy and empowering others to create their own. On today's episode, we answer the question, who was Sir Milo Butler and what does his legacy mean today? We have invited one of his oldest friends, former Minister of Immigration, Mr. Loftus Roker, along with the Director of Communications for the Office of the Prime Minister, Mr. Latre Reming, to offer a balanced perspective on this topic. Hi, everybody. I'm Franklin Butler, co-host of The Legacy Podcast. I am delighted to finally have this vision to become a reality. My co-host, Loretta Butler-Turner, and my dear cousin have been discussing ways that we can preserve the legacy of our grandfather and Lady Caroline, who has made such a tremendous contribution to our country. And today I'm just delighted to, for the, to be embarking upon this journey of getting this podcast where we have very special guests who are going to learn more about the story of Sir Milo. And our hope is that you will leave this podcast informed and inspired. So Loretta, it's a pleasure to finally be kicking this off. I am so excited to be here with you, my dear cousin. It's the beginning of a new year, so happy new year to you. Yesterday, we actually celebrated Majority Rule Day. Yes. And so I'm excited that we're finally getting this going in the new year. And I just trust that our audience will enjoy this. Um, it is a project we've been working on for a while. And so it's no better way to start the new year than with a new program. This is going to be absolutely exciting because for our inaugural um, show, our podcast, we are having two really dynamic and exciting guests join us I right can't now. wait. I can't <laughs> wait. So Loretta, tell me more about these wonderful gentlemen who are here joining us. But before we get into that, I, I just want to just put a plug in for our sponsors. I really want to thank the current Echo at Bahama who have joined us as a part of the sponsorship. You know, as we think about this, the history that we're going to share, it's great to see corporate partners along with the Butler Legacy Foundation who found it important, particularly in this, our 50th anniversary of independence. Absolutely. To preserve our legacy and Absolutely. our history. Absolutely. So our 50th year of being an independent nation, it is so exciting. This is a beautiful development here, the Echo um, Gallery, we're so proud, and of course, you know, the hard work you've put in in making sure that we have the Legacy Foundation up and running so we can do this exciting podcast. But about our guests, Franklin. Absolutely. Let's about get About our guests that are going to be <laughs> joining us today. Let me tell you, first of all, our first guests probably knew our family long before either of us existed. And, That's correct. Um, he, go, he knows both sides of my family, but of course we're here to talk about the Butler legacy. So he's lived with the Butlers, did so much. He knows Sir Milo, Lady Butler, and all of our aunts and uncles and our parents personally. And he's none other 
than probably the most famous minister of immigration That's that sure. the Bahamas has ever had, probably the most effective for sure. um, minister of immigration the Bahamas has ever had, and that's none other than our honorable Mr. Loftus Roker. And as we know him, Uncle Loftus, welcome Uncle to Loftus, the show. Uncle Loftus, welcome. <laughs> and wait, I gotta tell you, we have another exciting guest, because of course, you know, Mr. Roker is going to bring that real historical, historical perspective. perspective that even you and I don't know about, but we also know that it's important for the younger people to understand and appreciate and relate to where we are and what we've done and what Sir Milo, how he's impacted our lives. So we have another young cousin joining us. Absolutely. And this would be from our Rumkey connection. And I don't know if he knows the history of all of us, but none other than the outstanding communications um, director. director at the office of the prime minister, none other than Latre Reming. And so our two exciting guests, this is going to be an amazing podcast. Latre, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uncle Loftus, Mr. Roka, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and we want to welcome you to the Legacy Podcast. Loretta, let's get right into it. Um, you know, as we think about Samilo, tell me, um, Mr. Rocco, who was Samilo to you? Well, first of all, I was born in Acklands to Elkin and Dolores Rocco. Right. And my birthday was the 25th of August, 1935. 1935. So I'm 70. I'm. 87 now. Wow. You've seen a lot then. Yes. Um, my father was friendly with Samilo. Okay. My father owned a grocery store in Acklands. Amazing. And, and Samilo had uh, a store, wholesale store in Nassau. Right. And my father used to purchase goods from him. Mm -hmm. And they were very, they became friends. I came to Nassau at the age of 17 as a student teacher at the Western Senior School. Before I came down, my father wrote to Samilo and said to him he should find a place for me to live in Nassau. When I arrived in Nassau, Samilo picked me up at the mailboat. Right. And he said to me, I had a letter from your father. But what I want you to do is to live with us until you find a place that you want to go and live. Amazing. And this is a man with like 10 children. Yeah, <laughs> that is right. And so I stayed with them in Ernest Street for two years. Awesome. Wow. Uh, before I eventually found a place. And I didn't find a place to rent. I bought a lot, and my father helped me build a house on the lot. And that is where I went to when I moved from Samilo. But Samilo probably was more important to me than that, because I believe I got in politics because of listening to him. Wow. Samilo was fighting for the cause of the black Bahamians long before the PLP came into existence. So Milo ran against Sahari Oaks. Yeah, I've heard the stories. 
tell us more about that. And he he lost, but he but he told me the story. His friends in the area encouraged him to run against Sahari. Yeah. <laughs> until the the day before nomination. And they then came to him, his friends, uh-huh. and said to him, We've gone far enough now. We gotta see what we can get Safari, but we don't intend for you to run. Wow. <laughs> oh my goodness, no. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Milo says, What are you talking about? I intend to run. <laughs> but they abandoned him, his friends. Wow. Abandoned him. And he lost to Sahari. Is that why he always taught us that you must always stand? even if you're going to stand alone, alone. because right. he always felt many times that when you made a stand, you stick to that. those who were with you are normally not with you to the end. That is right. And so he continued. He used to say that I don't hate the white man, but I hate his dirty ways. Yes. That's what he used to say. I didn't believe that because I couldn't figure out how that could happen. Yeah. One day, when he was governor general, uh-huh. I used to get an invitation as a minister. I was a minister at the time. I right. used to get an invitation to attend. But then I saw all of the white people who used to attend before the PLP came to power at government <laughs> house were still there. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that the Englishman who was his secretary general, I forget the name of the fellow now, was that Mr. Chapman? Yeah. Absolutely. I thought that he was <laughs> the one. Colonel Chapman. Right. I thought that he was the one who was giving these invitations. I said, Samilo can't be giving all these white people invitation to come to government house. I was, a, my office was in the post office building. Uh-huh. Right near government house. Right, right. And one morning, Samilo, I don't know whether he was driven there or he walked there, but he came to my office uh-huh. and he said to me, I notice you don't attend my, uh, when, when you get invited to my functions at government house, you don't attend. Why is that? What did I do you? I said, you didn't do me anything. I didn't want to tell him really why. And the reason I didn't want to attend was because I figure all of the same, it's the Englishman right. who inviting all of these white Bahamians to the function. They had some more black people there, but the white people were still being invited. So he said to me, you know, before any invitations sent out, I examined it uh, and I, I have to approve the people who, who were invited. And I noticed, and I noticed I, you were invited, and you're not attending. I was, I felt so bad. I couldn't tell him why. Oh wow! I, I didn't want to attend. I didn't want to tell him that because I couldn't believe that he was right. He didn't hate the white man. He hated his dirty ways. Yeah, yeah. So what lesson? What lesson do we take away from that? I mean, truly, um, in 1967 when he was the Minister of Education and we had segregated schools. Yep. And that was like two a year later, 
that my brother Raleigh became the first black student to, to Anders St. Andrews. What lesson do we take away about Sir Milo and his um, love of country and people generally? Yeah, but the, 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 the thing is that a lot of people didn't believe what he was saying, yeah. but he believed it and he meant what he was saying. Yeah. And the thing I get after that happened, I attended every function that he invited me to after that because I realized that he knew what was going on. Absolutely. And this wasn't no Englishman who was doing this for him. He was doing this for himself. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I always heard, you know, uh, Mr. Roker to that point, I always heard him say that as well, you know, that to my father, that he didn't hate the white man. He just hated his ways. Right. And when I look at even how we've conducted ourselves as a family, we've continued to have whites and blacks yeah. as business partners, as friends. That was something I think both your father, Loretta, and my father were pretty intentional about, making sure that we didn't lead a divisive type of life. Or and society. That, or society. Right. And to make sure that blacks and whites were citizens of the Bahamas. Right. And that we were able yeah. to live a fully integrated life. And yeah. so I'm very proud of that heritage and delighted to hear that story. Mr. Roker, just before we move on, though, I'd like you to just put some more context around Sahari Oaks and this David and Goliath story for our listeners. Maybe they don't understand who Sahari Oaks was in the context of Samilo and his friends positioning him to run. Maybe give some context around who in Sahari Oaks In those days, was. Sahari was considered one of the wealthiest residents in the Bahamas in those days. Uh, he owned a lot of property out west and all that. And I, I wouldn't like to call the names of his friends who, who abandoned him because some of them may still be alive. But, I find that exciting. <laughs> yeah, still be alive. But, but Samilo said, can you imagine that now? They expected me to get money from Sahari and not run. Yeah. And, and their plan was to get money from Sahari by supporting me. Wow. And, and after that, then they we would not run. I wouldn't run. But since that was not what my plan was, my plan was to run to help the Bahamian people. He was always interested in the development of the Bahamian people. And I give you another example. He was an amazing fellow. When the PLP came to power in 67, he was appointed Minister of Health. I never been to his office, yeah. but they tell me it was right in the hospital yard, Okay. in the Princess Margaret Hospital Yard. Mm -hmm. My office, my law office, was on Elizabeth Avenue, not far away from, from that. And one morning, he came down to my office to see me. He never been there before. Right. And he said to me, what's your position with this office? What's your position? I says, what are you talking about? He says, you have any agreement on, on, on partnership with this office? Uh -huh. So I says, yeah, I have a, an agreement here, but I don't want to sign the agreement because I don't agree with, the with, with, with what's in it. 
I'm not giving you all the information because I, I, I don't want to give you all the information. Right. But he then said to me, Loftus, it's better for them to take the money from you than to take it from somebody else. And he walked out of my office and left. Wow. He don't know how true that was. <laughs> but I then, years later, I says, how could that man figure out these things? How could he figure that out? Right. But he was not in politics for himself. He never tried to get anything out of politics. Yeah. He was there to help the Bahamian people. And that cannot be said about all, all politicians. Yeah. Your first real example of serving leadership right. you know, on, on the political stage, I think, at that time. And, you, know. you have shared so much. I mean, really, Uncle Loftus has shared so much with us. I, I truly was getting goose pimples just listening to him. But, you know, this entire thing of integration, desegregation, um, the principles of serving as opposed to being served. We have Latre with us today. Absolutely. Um, a, a young man who probably doesn't even know about the, the separation of, of color, you know, because he's, he's even younger than you are. Yep. So I, I want to just engage Latre to ask him from his perspective, you know, truly, Latre, knowing that you come from part of this heritage, how do you see us as a society today learning from the, the life of a Sir Milo Butler? I think, um, um, well, thanks. I feel like I'm in the classroom right now. But, uh, <laughs> but, but we all, all of us. Yeah, yeah. But what is so, I think, is profound uh, with the story of Sir Milo, um, it, it caused us to ask the question about, you know, how, how, as a society, we've made such great progress. Yep. And, and 50 years later, it, it seems like there's so much work to do. And one of the things that he spoke uh, candidly about is his commitment to the profoundness of serving the Bahamian people. And I think I, I've been on, in, involved in party politics from, I was 14 years old. Well, and there is an absence of that le level of dedication to improving the public good and, and persons who, are, have a, who have a, a genuine interest in national service. And uh, before my thing is in order for me to be a part of the PLB, I had to understand this history. Yep. And to see persons coming into an institution, being a part of the aspect of government, not knowing the contribution of Samilo or not knowing the contribution of this organization, it, it, I, I still believe that the systems that he sought to dismantle still exist today. Um, they exist in, in different forms, and I feel like uh, our politics just lacked the courage of men like Samilo, who could stand up um, and say that, listen, I, 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 I come into this, this field with, with my heart. I don't want nothing from it, but to see the advancement of the Bahamian people. And I think um, I would go as far saying that it, it is very difficult to serve the public good being conflicted. Yep. And I think that persons who had the courage and the conviction. So as a young person, um, it, um, being on the side of a Loftus Roker and knowing in my bloodline that there's the heritage of, of, of Butler's, it caused me to say, how do I, how do I live up to this expectation? Yep. Um, and I, I do so, what I, I always said to me, no matter 
my involvement in politics, I have to be true to what I believe. Well, we commend you, but you know, I think a part of what we want to do with the podcast is to also um, get more young people, people aligned to understand their responsibility first to country, to family, um, you know, to themselves, yes. you know, so that they can um, help to create this vision that 50 years, we're, we're still a young nation, but there's so much more growth for us to, to, to do. How do we engage young people to, to embrace these virtues, these values, these lessons? I think the first part of it is telling the story. I think yeah. this is the first commitment you made because the story comes possibility to know that there was someone who came before me that had the conviction, the, the, the foresight to not only advance politically, but to to contribute to the economic aspect of the country as well in society. I think far too often, young Bahamians don't have someone to look up to. Yep. You know, I was saying to, if, if you look at it, 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 it seems as if that Bahamian history just stopped, persist particularly at independence you know yeah. you don't you don't have nothing else after independent the bombs became an independent country and that's it yeah and then and between independence there was the time where um after independence the plp lost power and there, there's no author or author telling the continued story of us as a people and because there's an absence of that story there's an absence of our national identity and national character mm, and great and so, yeah. and, and so people then asks you got these great behaviors. Yes, I, like I, like Mr. Roker. And and, and and I think what I see uh, being opposite you is this 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 continuation of the story. I think that we have to know as young behaviors that in this social experiment called the Bahamas, how do I fit in? Yeah. And I think a lot of behaviors don't know how they fit into the social national national development experiment and there is no and and I think uh, in this 50th independence, there must be someone who speak to who we are as a people and how, how our story uh, is relevant to that. Yep. And, it, and it and inspires young people to come so, forward. So when you look at it, let's tie this in then. We have young people today that have every type of communication. You're the director of communications Absolutely. at OPM. There is every level of communication, but yet we're not getting our story told. Mr. Roker, his father probably um, had to take weeks to get responses from Milo Butler in and Nassau. Handwritten letters. With handwritten letters that were being taken back and forth on a mail boat. Yep. But yet they understood the importance of their responsibility. Just as Sir Milo left his home, knew what time to go and pick up Mr. Roker from the mail boat to take care of him until he found a place of his own. Why, what is the divide that we cannot teach our children through all of these mediums that we have today? Whereas back in the day, they had to use pen and paper and time. I think um, I would go as far as saying that there is um, an absence of values and value systems, right? For example, I always toy with the idea that the Bahamas uh, should be a knowledge-based economy where there is a the development of meritocracy. And my grandfather, um, they believed that with education and hard work comes success. And I think a lot of that has been lost in where we are today, that, that, that ethics of hard work, because oh. the, the political system has bastardized the idea of meritocracy. Yeah. And I don't know to extend what role um, our organization would play in it, because people 
no longer see politics as this noble tool yep. to change the Bahamas. Absolutely. They see it as a, as a, if I join this organization, I can get this get job, rewarded. I can get this Absolutely. role. And that has robbed us uh, of so much of our national development because the idea of politics is, is destroyed. I, I totally agree with you, Latre. And I think this sense of community, this sense of national service, just being our brother's keeper. I mean, that's the foundation of what I hear in the message of, you know, Mr. Rokas, he talks about the story. I think, I, I don't me, know if there was any special relationship between story between her, his father and Samilo. But go ahead, Mr. Rokas. Samilo taught me how to drive. Yes. You may not know this, but in those days, cars were not plentiful. Right. He taught me to drive in his truck. <laughs> <laughs> When, we, when I went to take my driver's, to take my test, my driver's license, uh -huh. he had to sit on the back of the truck while the police sergeant sat in the truck with me for me to drive. To do the test. To do the test. But I say that to say that I used to like to drive with him because he would let me drive. Yeah, yeah. So I on weekends when I wasn't at school, I would go with him wherever he was going and drive with him. One day, he had to stop by Asa Pritchard. Right. On Bay Street. Yeah, yeah. And when we got in the door, Mr. Pritchard say, now Mr. Pritchard was Speaker of the House. Yeah, so Asa said, Pritchard, yeah. I don't want to do any more business with you. Wow. Now, so Milo had just gotten back in the house in, 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 uh, in, 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 in 50, 56. He had beaten his brother-in-law. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Uh, Marcus Bethel. Marcus Bethel. Not Dr. Marcus Bethel. Marcus Bethel beat him first. Right. But, but anyway, he beat Marcus Bethel and he got back in the house. So I was shocked. I didn't know what Mr. Pritchard was saying. And he... So we kept going, I believe, so Milo didn't understand what he was saying either. Right. So we kept walking up to the counter. And Mr. Pritchard's son came from behind the counter and pushed the Milo back out to the door, out wow. to the street. This was Asa Pritchard, the thing was right on Bay Street. Right. I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it turned out, Mr. Pritchard didn't like what Samila was saying in the house. I see. And so he said he humiliated the man. He pushed him back out onto the street. Oh, my goodness. I went with Samila because I, I didn't know what was it's really going on. Yeah. But there's another problem. Sir Roland, who was in the business of land, all kind of land. Yeah, I think he had the docks and that. that kind of stuff as well. After the 56 election, when Samilo won, Mr. Simlet said to him, now, if you remember, the land on Bay Street opposite where Samilo lived there, he bought that property there, some property just east of where his house is on. It's on Bay Street. Right. Yes, yeah, yes. He bought that from some Knowles who were living in, in Florida. Okay. They were from Long Key. Anyway. But he borrowed the money from Sir Roland to buy the property. I didn't know that. Yeah. Sir Roland said to him, you got to pay me my money or I will take the property because 
I don't intend to have anything more to do with you. Oh, wow. So Milo said he didn't even, he couldn't even tell his wife yeah. what, what Sirolin had told him. And he couldn't figure out what to do. Yeah. He said he remembered that there was a man called uh, Ronald Albury. Yeah, definitely remember. Who owned a wholesale business. Absolutely. I said, when that fella came down from, from where he came from, the family island, the Nassau, he used to get, he used to credit goods from Sumilo to sell on, on the street. Right. And he said, the fella told him one time, he says, Mr. Butler, when I become rich, if you ever need anything, you could talk to me. And Sumilo said, he laughed at the fella, this barefoot fella, yeah, yeah. <laughs> telling him about when he, he get rich. rich. Yeah, yeah. What did he do? He remembered this fella and he went to him. And Mr. Albury said to him, tell Sir Roland, send me the papers. Uh, I will pay him the money. The money. That wow. is an amazing, amazing story, story because, wow. yeah. you know, we, we, as the younger generation, we had heard about how they literally tried to strangle him oh, yeah. economically because of his political yeah. involvement yeah. and achievements. And so, you know, I think it's important for, you know, us to understand how people can manipulate things against you when you're trying to do good for yeah. you know for the greater for the yeah. greater good and and that for me is an amazing story yeah i want to tell the last story go ahead how i got to andrus i always wanted to run for Auckland's crooked island and donkey right they voted for white man basil kelly uh-huh that's their right right see i have no problem with that but Clarence Bain had a store on Blue Hill Road where he sold tickets for airlines and all of that. Right. And he got into problem. He owed British Airways over $20,000. Wow. I got involved, so Lyndon and I got involved with trying to figure out how to help Clarence Bain. I went to Samilo. He sent me to your father. Yes. And we borrowed twenty thousand dollars from from the butlers. Right. Through your father. Okay. To pay British Airways. Now we had said if we didn't get the money, and Clarence, Bay, if you were bankrupt, you have to resign from the house. Right. And if 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 he had resigned. I was supposed to run for the seat. <laughs> I see. I didn't want to run. For, see, people think in those days, running for a seat cost plenty money. A yes. lot of money. <laughs> so we didn't want to buy election, especially where the PLP had the seat. Right. So your father loaned us the money. And if you check the records, you'll see it there. Because... Later on, he had to write me to say that uh, Mr. Bain wasn't keeping up with the payments oh, he was wow. supposed to make wow. <laughs> on, on that. But if it weren't for that, 
we may have lost that seat. If, if, if he had to resign, we may have lost that seat. And we didn't want, want that. But that could tell you the only place we, we couldn't go to, we couldn't get the money from a bank. No. Yeah. We had to go to Samilo, and he sent us to his son. Right. Franklin. Amazing story. Amazing story. So, Latre, I want to engage you again because, you know, after hearing um, what Uncle Oftus has had to say about how they actually were, you know, their brother's keeper or, you know, certainly looking out for each other and that story, do you think that the lack of knowledge, understanding among our younger generation leads to the apathy that we we're, we're feeling and seeing today among among the younger generation? I think, I think two things. I, I think the promise of majority rule has not tr trickled down entirely in the sense that I believe that it was a fundamental, uh, it was a, whilst we had attained political control, we didn't have economic control. Yep. And I, I, I think that if we as a young, young Bahamans see the story of how they were demoralized, I mean, they were shut out economically and fought for politically. And, and that, the absence of those stories don't allow us to see the mirror of who we are as Bahamans and what they fought for. And, we think, and, and to know within us uh, is a, was a generation of men and women who had the conviction and the courage to stand up. Because our oppressors, whilst they exist, they just are in different clothing. And I, don't th I think that if we know that, that there were giants who fought similar f f fights um, in the past, that would uh, cause us to draw on that. I, mean, I remember the time um, the current PM uh, tells the story about how difficult it was for him to be a, an attorney mm. and how the white firms always shut him out. And he was always discriminated against and marginalized and how he had to fight for where he is. So there, 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 there will be a fight. Yeah. None of this, um, I, I think one of the famous quote, if you, if you want to bomb, but Selena said, if you got you to fight for it. Yep. You got to fight for your country. I think that that is so, but a lot of Bahamians have this feeling that this social experiment don't work for them. Yep. And so what are they fighting for if they feel like because it's two, you got the country got to pour into you, and you got to pour into the country, and a lot of them feel like the country really important into yeah. them. And I think you know, yeah. Latre, as you speak, and I listen to the story. One of the things that stands out for me is this idea of perseverance. Mm -hmm. We live in an instant society; everything communication happens quickly. And as I listen to you know, Mr. Roku speak, this idea of perseverance that we all gotta pay a price. price. And it's yeah, not that, you know, and I think with majority rule, there's this idea that we entitled now. Yeah. We ain't got to go through now. It was over. Yeah, it's over, yeah, right? It the the, the yeah. battle is won. Yeah. This is a continuum, it's right? Continued fight. And we have to continue to make sure that, and this is what we're hoping to achieve through this podcast by allowing you and, you know, Mr. Roker to tell your stories, is that there's this great history of perseverance. And even as we face the modern day structural challenges in whether that's in race or in politics in our country, we need to be prepared to stand up and persevere because nothing good comes easy. Yeah, and I think, like you said, there's a price to pay. Yeah. And I think that um, most certainly, I was saying to my colleagues that, you know, I can't believe we have these uh, giants of men sitting in our society today and we don't have to question, how do we get through this period? 
Absolutely. You know, that, that's something I think that is a fundamental mistake. That well, we made. hope that we can help to answer some of those questions through these podcasts that we're doing. We are blessed indeed, not just to have Mr. Roker, but to have you give a counterbalance to that. And I know that Frankie, you know, uh, definitely he is learning so much as am I. But I think one of the important things when you talk about standing and standing for change and standing to make a difference, Mr. Roker really had, I think, should share with us a lot uh, about uh, the story of the hourglass absolutely. and the mace that was thrown out absolutely. of the House yeah. of Assembly. Because that is very important. Why? First of all, Bahamians don't believe in history as relates to black Bahamians. You're afraid to say that you were a slave. Yes. And that that, that white fella is who had you as a slave. You're afraid to say that. Because you don't want to dis cause him to get uh, ostracized mad with you yeah. or upset yeah. with you. But let me tell you about the hourglass thing. First of all, again, I say we don't know our history. Because if you go to the biography of Selinda, you would see in that biography what he said caused him to throw the hourglass, I mean not the hourglass, mace. to throw the mace out of the window. And today, nobody is saying that at all. What did he say? First of all, he says, plus what you don't know is that I practiced law with Selinda from 62 to 67. Right. We had our office on Elizabeth Avenue. We rented from the Sasson building. Right. I went to him. He said that I came to him with his idea about doing something serious, throwing the, the, the mace out the window. Right. And he said to me, go to Cecil Wallace Whitfield. Right who was chairman of the party. Of PLP at the time, right. If you all agree on that, let him bring it up in the meeting for us. You don't bring it up. Right. because He didn't want that because I was his law partner. Right. I got you. And he didn't, he didn't want to be connected with it. Right. I went to Cecil. There were four PLP House members who we didn't even want to know that. Four PLP House members. Wow. Who didn't know when when the when the they they were shocked in the house when Selinden threw the, the the mace out the window. And one of all reason was that one of them was a partner of a minister in the UBP government. Ah. And we figure if he if knew he that knew. he may have told his partner. Oh, wow. And then we wanted this to be a shock. Right. We wanted it to be a surprise. We didn't want anybody to know. I understand. We invited people to come out there and they didn't know why they were coming, coming out, out there. there. I understand. <laughs> so tell us why, so, so tell us a little bit more about why they threw the hourglass and the mace out. Now, they are, they, the mace was a symbol of power. Power in parliament. Right. And we figured if we throw that out, the, the house can't function anymore. I understand. The mace out the house. Right. It's a linden, is a fella. Selinda was never a, a rough type of fella. Right. He had his hand on the mace <laughs> for, for a long time. 
the speaker wouldn't know why he had his hand on the mace. Right. You know, nobody knew what we were doing. But Sir Lyndon wouldn't throw the mace out. And eventually, Sir Milo got up and stood behind <laughs> Sir Lyndon. <laughs> I love this. And then Sir Lyndon decided to throw the mace, the, 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 the the mace. mace out. Right. The hourglass is Sir Milo's thing altogether. Yeah, yeah. That was not part of what we were going to do. Right. We had no idea. We never said to throw the, the hourglass out. But Sir Milo figured that was the thing that was controlling him. Yeah, because I heard he liked to talk, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that was it only gave you 15 him. minutes. So, so <laughs> as soon as Sir Lyndon threw the, the maze out, he grabbed up the hourglass and he, he threw that, that out too. <laughs> but the significance of, of him throwing the hourglass out was because he felt that this hourglass never gave him sufficient time that to express right. himself. No, he felt that he should be as representing representative of the people he should have a right to say what he believed is in interest of the people right whether it take five minutes or ten minutes didn't matter right but we knew that the hourglass was designed to stop him so milo <laughs> oh goodness because he was the one the one thing i must say about that though is adahana always supported him wow amazing when so Milo was thrown out of the house. Adahana got up and wouldn't stop speaking until they threw him out of the house. <laughs> awesome. Interesting. Every time. Wow, wow, wow. And, and, and talking about that, my, some of my best friends in the house, Adahana, Sir Milo, Clifford Darlin, wow. Lyndon Pinning. Interesting. Lyndon Finley was my friend. Don't mind what he pretended sometimes. If you went to him and say, you know what, we don't like what Loftus is doing. He'll distance himself. He may appear to agree with you. Yeah. But he he said to me, Loftus, I put you there to do your job. Interesting. And you do your job. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Incredible story. I feel like I'm in the classroom again. Thank you so much, Mr. Roker. So the tray over to you if we hear this wonderful story of you know mr roca and what transpired with the hourglass and we think about mrs pinling and she felt forgotten yesterday on majority rule day what are we doing to make sure that people like her are not being forgotten and the history is not being lost as we transition to 50 years of independence most of these people don't even know what transpired for us to get to where we are today i know um there's an african proverb I'll attempt to say it as correct as I possibly can, and says that until the lion learns how to tell his own story, the story will always glorify the hunter. Right. I think in that, uh, that level of profoundness, there's a, a national responsibility. The, the government of the Bahamas have a responsibility to ensure that, from an educational perspective, that uh, our curriculum is reflecting uh, our history, and, and that the University of the Bahamas has a fundamental role in ensuring that we continue to write that history. But legacy families have an obligation to themselves to tell their own story. And I, I mean, the, the, what you guys have done for the Butler family and your grandfather, ensuring that you carry on the role of, of penning a story is a responsibility that um, the, the penning family will have to do themselves as well. I mean, um, the Marguerite, Dame Marguerite Penning um, is a fixture in, in the Bogotville party. And she's a fictionist country. And in our national history. And our national history. And, and the story of a husband um, 
however, um, but whilst you you cannot cede or recede that responsibility entirely, entirely okay. to, to others, yep. you have to be able to say, no, this this is important to me. This is important to his legacy, to my father's legacy, my grandfather's legacy, my uncle's legacy, whoever it was for them. His legacy is important, and 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 you have to cause to ensure that I will make it my responsibility for persons to know the legacy of a man that came before us. But I also want to say um, something to add to this, because I, I think in the story, what I what, what is absent from this is a cause. Yeah. Majority rule came with a cause. Independence was a cause. And we have to ask ourselves 50 years later, what is, what is the cause we seek? Because I think that's what's absent. I think that's the apathy, that's the, uh, the lack of political will, the persons being detached there's no cause. I mean, what are we, what are we fighting for? Yeah. I think until we answer the question, what are we fighting for? There will always be this sort of disconnect to our national development. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. The that makes me think about you know a great scripture: "To whom much is given, much is, much is required. required." And as I reflect on Loretta and I and the conversations that led up to this inaugural podcast, which we are delighted to have you and Mr. Roko join us on. You know, both of us have had a privilege to Loretta serve in public life, myself in business, to really be beneficiaries of a lot of perseverance, multiple generations of perseverance, of knowing the history, because I think many of the stories that, you know, Uncle Loftus shared today, and uh, I'm sure that we will continue to hear through the other episodes of the podcast, will just be reminders of our obligation. And so we're delighted to have you guys be a part of this podcast, and we're going to do all we can to live this legacy and to make sure that generations of Bahamians get to hear from people who are left like Mr. Roker, who were there with Samilo, not what they heard, what they saw, what they witnessed. And so we thank you. You know, I know you have a very busy schedule at the office of prime minister and a member of our family so much. to uh, make sure that we continue to um, perpetuate the history and make sure as people see us as legacy generations, maybe even entitled, that mm. they recognize that we are building on a foundation which we are very proud of and that we have an obligation to pay it forward to make sure that those who come behind know the story. And just to you know, pivot on what Latre has said and talking about the cause, what is the reason, what is the purpose? I think that if we can get our people to, first of all, realize the cause is them, this is the cause. They are the reason we're doing what we're doing. We need them to understand their self-actualization. And if this is going to help them get there to identify what we are as Bahamians, what we are as people who are persons of accomplishments, then that must be our cause mm -hmm. and give them greater desire to continue that cause. And so this inaugural podcast has been not only educational for me, but just the most exciting um, thing that I've learned, you know, for the new year yeah. and in sharing with you guys. Yeah. And I think every day learning is a process. Learning is a part of life. And so I thank you so much. I thank each of you. Um, obviously, once again, we've got to put a, a plug in here for Echo at Baharmar and, of course, the Butler Legacy Foundation that made all of this possible. And we trust that certainly everyone will enjoy this inaugural podcast. Thank you once again. Thank you, so much, Thank you all very, very much. Mr. Roka, we hope to have you back on again. There's so many stories that you can tell. The Trey, again, thank you for your thank time. You
Anytime you talk about Somilo, you could have me around. Yeah. <laughs> because I, he, he caused me to be 90% in politics of who I was. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so and much. And to our guests, thank you so much for joining us in this inaugural podcast. We hope you found this informational, but of course, we hope to inspire you as well. And we hope that you will continue to look out for future episodes of the Legacy Podcast. Thank you and good afternoon.